Hello guys, it's me again and um, we are up to church number three of the Churches of Revelation. I'm so excited and um, you know, I just want to say as a disclaimer, I never said that these would be easy to digest. <laughs> I never said that they would be easy to listen to and I really pray, like even as I'm going through them, I am getting convicted. And so I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit just to nudge in the areas that you need to be nudged in. And, you know, the word of God is like a mirror. It reflects who we are. It reflects our hearts, but it's also a two-edged sword. And so I pray that through these letters and through this teaching that it would actually begin to penetrate your heart and your soul and actually cut away some of the junk and you know, um, we all need a little bit of fine tuning and we all need a little bit of a push sometimes. And so, yeah, I, I hope that this has been good. And I pray that, you know, if you have been blessed by any of these teachings, please reach out to us and um, let me know because it is good to know that this is landing and, um, and that it is making sense and encouraging you. So you can reach out via Instagram or on our website. We have an email address, um, but I would love to know how this is being a blessing to you. So today we are gonna be looking at the Church of Pergamon, and this is often referred to as well as the Compromising Church. I know this is almost impossible for us to believe in 2022 that there would be such a thing as a compromising church. I know, but back in ancient Rome, there was a compromising church, the church of Pergamum. So let's learn a little bit about Pergamum, the city, and what was going on at that time. So Pergamum was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. So this was a big city, an important city, and this was a very religious city. And the primary worship was to a god named Asclepios. Now, I know last week when we looked at the church of Smyrna, I mentioned that the, the worship of the gods was starting to die out um, in replace for the worship of Caesar or the emperor. But that didn't mean that the worship of the gods was non-existent. Um, there were still temples to the different gods. There was still worship of the different gods. It's just that we needed to worship the emperor above anything else. Um, so the god Asclepius was the god of knowledge and the god of healing. And he was more often than not represented by a serpent. And this is the craziest story. It actually disgusts me a little bit. But if you are brave enough to listen on, it was suggested or believed that sick people from all over the region or all over um, the empire, really, all over the, the empire of Rome, would flock to Pergamum to find healing. And they would be, this is how they would actually kind of uh, believe that healing would be manifest. So obviously you would pay quite a handsome sum. You would go to the temple, uh, the temple of Asclepios, and you would pay a handsome sum to the priests and whoever was there. And you, you would actually be entombed in a dark room for the night. Um, but inside the dark tomb, they would let loose hundreds of snakes. Now, if that was me, I would, sorry, I'd rather be sick than have to go into a dark room overnight with snakes, hundreds of snakes. And it was believed that if you were bit 
by these snakes that you would receive healing. So I, this is so demonic to me. I think to myself, there is no logic. I mean, we're taught today, don't, don't get bit by a snake. And if you do, you're most likely going to die. So rush to the emergency room. So there is no logic. There is no common sense. It's, it's literally demonic and evil. So if you were bit, you would receive healing. Um, uh, look, statistically, I don't know if we could ever prove if people got healed or not. I want to say most likely not, but who am I to say and who am I to judge? But Pergamon was also, um, they had a huge, huge altar to Zeus. Um, and so this altar was actually 35 meters wide by 30, 33 meters deep. Um, and it had a front stairway sorry i'm reading my notes they had a front stairway almost 20 meters wide so this was a monumental statue altar to zeus pergamum also had one of the oldest libraries in the ancient world and it was known to be where satan had his throne this the church of pergamum we can read about this in Revelation chapters 2, verse 12, all the way through down to verse 17. And Jesus actually says, this is where Satan has his throne. I want you just to remember for a minute, the devil can't be everywhere at once. Unlike God, unlike the beautiful Holy Spirit who is omnipresent, and the Holy Spirit can be literally speaking to me right now and speaking to someone in Afghanistan right now. He can manifest himself to everybody at once if he wants. He's omnipresent, omnipotent. He is all-knowing, all-seeing. He's everything. He's ev like he's, he's God. The enemy is bound. The enemy is limited. And it is believed that the enemy would, um, in the spirit, set up his throne in certain regions and at certain times. So at this time, he has set up his throne in the, in the city of Pergamum. Okay, so as Jesus introduces himself to this church group, the title that he uses, and you can read this in verse 12, Jesus says, the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword almost immediately you kind of get the feeling that this is not going to be a warm fuzzy letter this is not going to be just like you are the best we love you you like the church of smyrna there's nothing wrong i love you so much you can almost imagine that they would have needed to have braced themselves for what was to come the church through this letter will come to understand the sharpness of Jesus's words. And I just want to take a minute and stop there because I think so often we forget that he is both the lamb, the lamb of God, but he is the lion of Judah. He is the righteous reigning king and he is just and he is Lord. And so we only want to know Jesus to say really sweet, cute things and just like make me feel warm and fuzzy all the time. We don't want to take the part of Jesus that also, um, you know, convicts me and challenges me and points out the things that I need to change in my life. You know, I don't know if you're like me. 
I love The Chosen. I just think that it is like such a brilliant show and has done such an incredible job of just helping to bring to life um, in just such a beautiful and anointed way, the story of Jesus. Um, and, but I just, he's so nice. Jesus is so nice. And, um, I always just think, okay, he is so nice. He's the greatest guy. Like when I watch the show, I just think that's an actor that is like fake compared to what Jesus is. Jesus is the most kind, gentle, amazing person, but that doesn't mean that he is not also just and righteous. And so for the church of Pergamum, they're going to get to really understand that Jesus's sword, his word is not just like gentle and soothing. It can often be cutting and it can actually sometimes feel very, very painful. We read about this in Hebrews 4 verse 12, and it says this of the, of the sword of the word of God. It says, for the word of God is alive and it is active. It is sharp than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. It divides joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So the word of God is both beautiful and soothing. It's like a balm. But my gosh, if we read it with eyes that are open and hearts that are ready, it will also cut very deep to bring out the very best in us. So we know that this is going to be a letter that is going to be kind and it's going to hurt. So Jesus says to the church of Pergamum, these are the things that are going well. He says, I know where you live. Remember, they are at the throne of Satan. This is the city where Satan has chosen to have his throne. And so Jesus reminds them and he's like, I know where you live. I know that it's not easy. I know that you are in a very, very demonic stronghold city. I know that life is hard. I know that there is compromise everywhere. I know that there is immorality. I know that there is idolatry. I know that there is just all kinds of evil. I know, I know. Jesus knows this. This is a, a beautiful reminder even to us that he knows where we are. He knows the things that we face. He's not ignorant. He is not blind. Jesus knows. And there is a, a level of compassion and empathy and understanding that comes with that. He knows. He gets it. He understands that it's not easy. He understands that it's difficult. Jesus knows their works. And he says, despite where you live, where Satan has his throne, he knows their work. So isn't that amazing that even though you can imagine this city is like a strong hold for the enemy, this church is still busy. They're still busy. It says that Jesus knows their works. They haven't kind of folded up and gone underground and been too afraid to do anything. They are still working. They are still doing things for the kingdom. They have remained faithful to Jesus despite where they live, despite the strongholds, despite the compromise, despite the hardship, they have remained faithful. Despite where they live, they have not renounced their faith. And then Jesus says, even when Antipas was martyred. So here we get this beautiful insight that someone in their faith, someone in their faith community was actually martyred. When, even when Antipas died, you did not renounce your faith. Now, interesting to know that the, the name Antipas means faithful witness. How cool is that? So even when Antipas, the faithful witness was martyred, 
this church kept it together. They didn't budge. They remained faithful to Jesus. So you're probably wondering, how can we challenge anything, right? Like, why is this like, this is, Jesus is coming as the sword. Like this is, they, they seem amazing. Like the church that is set up in a city where it's like depraved and very strong, like a very big stronghold of the, stronghold of the enemy. Like what could Jesus possibly challenge? But nevertheless, this is what he has against them. And there's two things specifically that I want to pull out that Jesus challenges within the church of Pergamum. The first thing is this. He says, some, some within the church hold to the teaching of Balaam. Some hold to the teaching of Balaam. Balaam, you can find the story of Balaam in Numbers 22 verses 24 to 31. And Balaam basically represents a forerunner of all corrupt teaching. This teaching, this teaching included the practices of sexual immorality and idolatry. Now, sexual immorality was very much the norm in this culture, in ancient Rome. Sexual immorality was very normal and it was very common to practice sexual immorality within religion making something like purity, which is required for us as believers, purity becomes very strange and very odd. Now, I don't know, maybe it's just me reading between the lines, but I think we're already there again. We have similar to the church of Pergamum, where it's really strange to hear of believers who've grown up in church even, like saving themselves from marriage, like gosh, it's become an oddity to not be sexually active. And this is not a, um, a judgment at all, but it's not very normal to find people who get to their marriage day who are virgins and have kept themselves pure. Jesus is challenging those within the church. Remember, it's not the whole church. It's just some within the church. Jesus is challenging those who practice this kind of teaching. And basically he's saying the cross plus immorality and plus idolatry doesn't work. And this is kind of the teaching that they were trying to promote. Again, so often we misuse God's grace and we know that God's grace is there for me. It's sufficient. It's amazing. So technically I can do whatever I want because God's grace covers a multitude of sin. Unfortunately, that is not true. I mean, it is true, God's grace does cover a multitude of, of, of our sin and his grace is amazing, but it's not there for us to take advantage of. And so the people in this church, the few people in this church were saying, well, I can worship my idols and I can do whatever I want, like immorally, because I've also got the cross. That cheapens and it weakens what Jesus did for us on the cross. Unfortunately, when we get saved, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, we are called to live at a higher standard. And we are called to live not in this world. So that means some of the things that we agree with, some of the things that we do, can't look the same as the world. And so Jesus is challenging this within the church. He also um, wants to point out, he points out that some, again, this is not everybody in the church, this is probably a very small minority, some within the church are holding to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. 
Well, not much is known about the Nicolaitans. They were similar in that they practiced things that were against the word of God. They were also quite immoral. Get this. Jesus rebukes the entire church of Pergamum. Remember I said it was just some within the church. Some within the church held to these practices. And yet Jesus rebukes the entire church. Where if we compare with the church of Ephesus, Jesus actually commended the church of Ephesus because they abhorred the practices of people who did not keep in line with the word of God. Here is the thing. Jesus mentions those who hold to these teachings. So like I've said, there are only some who hold to these practices. It's not the entire congregation. It's maybe just a small minority, maybe just a small minority of people who hold to this. However, the whole church has failed to correct them. And this is why Jesus rebukes the entire church. The entire church congregation goes through a rebuking because unfortunately the majority who knew better failed to correct the minority who was sinning against the Lord. I just want you to think about that for a moment and let that sink in. The greater body of the church failed to hold the minority accountable to the truth of the word of God and therefore they would all walk through a judgment if they didn't change something. The reality is this, a difficult environment, remember where they were, this is where Satan had his throne. A difficult environment does not justify compromise. So I know that that's quite a lot to process. Um, I'm sure that all of us have been in seasons of difficulty in our lives and I'm certain that most, if not all of us as believers have compromised. But let's just remember that that's never an excuse. When we know the truth, when we know the truth of the word of God and we have been given the truth right here, it can never be an excuse to do what we want. And I think that we also as believers need to really prayerfully consider how we hold our brothers and sisters accountable to the truth of the word of God. We don't want to be judgmental Christians. We don't want to be legalistic Christians. We don't want to be people who, you know, hold other believers to a very unrealistic standard and expectation. But at the same time, it is also our responsibility to be our brother's keeper. And it is our responsibility when we see our brothers and sisters kind of going a little bit skew in faith to actually hold them accountable and to help them rediscover the truth of the word of God. So if that applies to you, if you've gone a little bit skew, that's okay because Jesus actually has the answers for us. And if you see people in your world just going a little bit off track, can I ask that you prayerfully consider how you can actually challenge the people in your world to come back, come back to their first love, come back to the truth of the word of God, come back to Jesus. So the thing that I love, the thing that I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just point out our flaws and then leave us to figure things out by ourselves. That is very, very unkind. 
And so we see that again in every letter, Jesus not only points out the things that he's challenging within the church, but he also actually gives the action steps to take. And in the case of the church of Pergamum, do you know what? It's actually not very difficult. It's not a difficult fix. And this is what the Lord says to the church of Pergamum. Repent. That's it. It is so simple repent. We make sin complicated. We make coming back into right alignment with God complicated, but it's actually really simple. Repent. And true repentance is not just saying, oh, I'm sorry. True rep repentance is an acknowledgement of what you have done wrong. So truly acknowledging the error in your ways and understanding that there is something wrong with that. And then allowing for change to come. Repentance is a 180. When we repent, we go from going in one direction, turning to another direction. And so Jesus says to the church of um, Pergamum, that's literally all you have to do to the ones who are, you know, um, teaching an, a, a gospel that's a little bit messed up. All you have to do is acknowledge that it's wrong, repent, say sorry, and change your ways. But in the case of the church of Pergamum, repentance is not just for those who have been practicing this false teaching. Repentance was also for those who allowed it. So everybody within the church of Pergamum had something to repent about. And so the people who were allowing the false teaching were just as much um, guilty and needed to actually ask God for forgiveness. Everybody within the church of Pergamum was at fault in some way. And without repentance, Jesus says, without repentance, the entire church will face a judgment. The truth of the matter is that repentance is not just for when we come into salvation. Repentance is not just a one-off thing that we're going to pray in our lives. Repentance is something that we need to humbly practice very, very regularly, if not daily. It takes a lot of humility. The, the longer we journey with Jesus and the longer that we read our Bible, the more that we know, the more knowledge we consume. And it actually becomes harder and harder for us to repent because pride allows us to think that we're so much better than what we are and we're further along and we're not wrong. And so I would again encourage each one of us to humbly, humbly come before the Lord and ask him to reveal to you the areas that you actually need to seek repentance in. And then don't just say sorry with the intention of going right back to what you were doing, but repent truly and that you acknowledge what you've done wrong and then actually make massive strides of change towards going in a new direction. So again, as we see in every church, the closing phrase, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Again, this means that for us, there is a message here that Jesus wants us to hear. Maybe, maybe you have been kind of leaning on something that's not entirely true. Maybe you have skewed the gospel in a certain way. Maybe you have kind of leaned into a false doctrine and it's not terribly wrong. It's just an inch wrong. But God wants you to change your ways. He wants you to hear. He wants you to repent. And he wants you to come back to the truth of the word of God in all of its beauty and purity and simplicity. So maybe that's where you sit today. Maybe you are aware of false teaching that is going on. Maybe you are aware of people who are believing a false doctrine. 
and you know just to keep the peace you haven't said anything you haven't challenged you haven't tried to hold to accountability and so maybe that's where you need to um, ask God to help and bring repentance there but whatever it is wherever we sit God has a message here for us to hear and for us to apply to our lives today and so just as in every other letter, Jesus leaves the letter. He ends the letter with a promise to the overcomer. And to the church of Pergamum, God has actually given them a beautiful promise. It says this, it says, um, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it known only to the one who receives it. So Jesus re reserves a beautiful gift to the church of Pergamum, to the, to the corrupt church, to the compromising church. God actually reserves a very beautiful, beautiful gift if they would be victorious in repentance and coming back into alignment with the word of God. So hidden manna, this is a promise of provision. Hidden manna, manna is the bread of heaven. And we're reminded when, when the children of Israel journeyed through um, the wilderness for 40 years, every day without fail, God provided manna for them to eat and it nourished them and it sustained them. So to those who overcome compromise, God will provide and he will be your, your sustainer and he will bring nourishment to your body. There is a guy named David Guzik and he does a lot of commentary on scripture and I really, really enjoy his teaching and the way he has um, just had revelation of the word of God. And he says this, when you leave the wrong and pursue what is right, God will give you something even better. This is the God we serve. He is exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that we could ever think, dream or imagine. And that's what he wants for us. So to the church of Pergamum, they are going to receive hidden manna, hidden provision. They're going to see, receive sustenance and um, the bread of heaven, which is going to rejuvenate them and cause them to just have more than what they could have dreamt. And then he also says that he will give them a white stone. Now, in antiquity, a white stone would represent a few different things. And firstly, it was given to those who had been acquitted and cleared of their guilt. So to the church of Pergamum, to the compromising church, if they were able to be victorious and overcome this, God would give them a white stone, acquitting them from their guilt. A white stone was also given as a ticket or an invitation to, to attend a banquet. So here, again, to the compromising Church of Pergamum, if they were able to be victorious and overcome, they're invited. They're going to be receiving an invitation to come to the banquet of heaven. And thirdly, it was used as a sign of friendship. So not only will the overcomer in the Church of Pergamum receive hidden manna, sustenance and nourishment and provision, but they would receive acquittal from their guilt. They would receive an invitation to the banquet and they would be given a token of friendship, which is the ultimate compliment. All three of these things are true of what Jesus has already done for us. We have been acquitted of our sin and we have been made blameless in the eyes of the Father. Because of Jesus and his sacrifice and his death and resurrection, I have now been made righteous. I have been acquitted of my sin and my guilt. I have been invited to attend his banquet. I have been invited to the supper of the lamb and he now calls me his friend. 
So this is a promise to those who overcome. And on top of everything else, as if that's not enough, as if the manna and the white stone is not enough, but Jesus says that they will also be given a new name. And it says, known only to the one who receives it. I don't know, I might be reading into scripture here and kind of reading between the lines, but to me, that is such a sign of intimacy with the Father, that one day to these overcomers, they will receive a name known only to themselves and obviously to God, because he is the one who bestows that name on them. So this is the promise to the one who is a compromising, to the one who is in a compromised situation. That is the beautiful, beautiful promise that God bestows on us when we can recognize, when we can repent, when we can realign our hearts, our lives, our doctrine, our teaching with the word of God. What a beautiful promise awaits for us. As we wrap up the Church of Pergamum, I know these are not easy. I think I said it before that I never guaranteed that these would be warm and fuzzy and make us feel good. But I think it's so important that we are challenged and um, and allow the Lord to prune things off of our lives. I want to I wanna ask you a few questions and leave this with you as we finish today's church. But are you quick to acknowledge the things that you have allowed? Are you humble and quick enough to acknowledge where you have allowed certain things, maybe that's in your personal belief system and in your personal doctrine, or maybe a bit broader? Are you humble and quick enough to acknowledge where things are not right? Because if there are spaces where you have allowed things that are not right according to the word of God, you have heard this now. And remember what Jesus says, to whoever has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says. So where you have allowed areas of compromise into your life, where you have allowed areas of compromise into your environment, are you quick enough to address it? Are you bold and brave enough to actually bring loving correction and accountability? I'm going to leave it there for today. I pray that this has blessed you. And um, next time, we'll be looking at the Church of Thyatira.